speaking on Zacchaeus, and it's such a tremendous portion of Scripture. I want us to read it again for the fifth time. Stand with me and let's read this together. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Hold it right there one second. Go back to that. I keep seeing things. Verse 3, he sought to see. It didn't say he sought to see Jesus. It says he sought to see who he was. In other words, he wasn't looking for an autograph. He was looking to know what kind of person Jesus was. He wasn't just curious. He was hungry. Okay, let's go to the second portion here. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with the man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. All right, you can have a seat. For those of you who are um, interested or haven't heard these and have missed one or two of them, we do have them on our website at queencity.church. So what I wanted to do, to, how many of you have been here for all five of these? Where, where, where are the rest of you guys? <laughs> no, I messed with you. No, therefore, I'm going to give a re- little bit of a review. And um, let me say this, um, we've had a, an amazing transition with all that's gone on with the buildings. And I honestly am so... First of all, thankful to the Lord and proud of this church for, you know, sustaining us during this period of time when um, it didn't necessarily have to happen well. And uh, just to let you know, I've, I've probably said this last week, but I like to say it because I'm bragging on you. Our July was our biggest financial month in the his, whole history of the church. And... Um, the interesting thing is our renovation is now like a quarter million dollar renovation. So it's all working toward a really good end. And um, Christopher hung the sound system some of it last week. It's just going to be so amazing, um, the room and the building and our opportunities there. So thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Queen City Church. Review. Zacchaeus was completely rejected, despised by Jewish society, yet Jesus saw something in him. He could not ignore. How many of you like that? I like that. Number two, Jesus chose Zacchaeus. 
Of all the people in Jericho, 100,000, many prominent priests living there, Jesus chose to stay with the most hated man in town. How many of you like that? I'm going to keep saying that until somebody likes it. So, Number three. How many of you like the number three? Oh, you can't let the crowd get between you and Jesus. That's a very, that's such a great thing to realize. Verse three, we read it earlier. He sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd. He didn't want an autograph. He wanted to know what Jesus was really like. If you're hungry enough for God, there's nothing that can stop you from finding him. Because there's something about being truly hungry to know the Lord that is a God magnet. But your part is you can't let anybody else get in your way. Um, You need to do whatever it takes. What does it take? I don't know. What does it take? But you can't let, quote, them tell you who you are. That's what peer pressure does. You let other people tell you who you are, and you sacrifice who you truly are to satisfy people that when you get to heaven will not give you a good reference because God won't even ask them. It'll be between you and the Lord. You need to understand that now instead of later. Don't let them, don't let me tell you who you are. Don't let anybody but the Lord. Now, relationships are important. You hear the Lord through people. But basically, you can't even let the mistreatment of other Christians separate you from Jesus because you had a bad church experience has absolutely nothing to do with who Jesus is other than the fact that he still loves people that gave you that bad church experience. You can't let that mistreatment separate you from Jesus. You can't let hurts. You can't let wounds. Now, here's a great question. What's your sycamore tree? Zacchaeus climbed a sycamore tree because he wanted to see who Jesus was. What's yours? What do you need to do to rise above the crowd? Reminded me of um, the Lord touched my life in college. It was the second major time. The first time was in high school. It didn't take that well, so it gave me another crack at it when I was in college. And um, I quit my fraternity... Because they got between me and Jesus. I threw my lot in with a group of Christian mama's boys. Because it was the only identifiable crowd of Christians I could find on campus. And it got a little bit better later. Uh, I was president of the junior class. That's right next to being president of the student body. And rumor got out that I spoke in tongues. I did not care. I had people come up and say, will you speak in tongues for me? And if they were serious, I was. And if they were jackasses, I wouldn't. And I have a very keen sense of those two people. But what's your sycamore tree? You know, what's your faith? What value does it really have to you? Um, Number four, do what Jesus tells you to do. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. And here's what the Bible says. Zacchaeus made haste and came down. Number five, realize that people will talk about you.
Number six, take your stand. The Bible tells us Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. This is by review. Number seven, John Mark touched on this, and I really, I really do love this. I think we have some pretty serious misunderstandings about uh, who we are and who the Lord is in some ways. But salvation came to Zacchaeus because Jesus saw who he really was, and Zacchaeus agreed with him. See, verse 9 says, Today salvation has come to this house because Zacchaeus also is the son of Abraham. See, we would think he was made a son of Abraham because he received Jesus. That's not what the text reveals. He discovered who he was when he met the only person who could accurately identify him. And when Zacchaeus agreed with Jesus, it stirred up a city of 100,000 people. I never thought about that till this very moment. That's pretty awesome, though. Number eight, Jesus' primary mission. We find in verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, I have... Somebody here needs this today. I know they do. I've done it a bunch before. It's, it's very interesting of the... Um, the parables and the stories Jesus tell about how often something's lost or how he, he identifies or um, embraces someone nobody would want to have much to do with. And you know, in one chapter alone, it's the story of the lost coin, the lost lamb, and the prodigal son or the lost son. Actually, there are two lost sons in that, uh, in that chapter. And so there's this idea here that I want to talk about for the Son of Man has come to do what? Seek and to save that which was lost. And so when John Mark was talking about the way I was here and it was value, a person's value, what is a person's value? There are certain evangelical parts of the church that believe until Jesus saves you, you don't really have a value because you're in such total depravity and I, I just don't get with that personally um, and there's several reasons when you read about the lost lost coin lost lamb and lost son several things need to come to your attention each person seeking those lost people or things feels a personal responsibility for having lost them See, God takes a personal responsibility for the condition of the universe. God so loved the world, he thought, poor pack of bums, I hope they figure this thing out. No, he gave his only begotten son. He, has a, he felt a personal responsibility, so he's done absolutely everything he could by sacrificing, by sacrificing his son. But, but this idea that Jesus gives me value by dying for me is inaccurate. He identifies my value. Now the idea is like with the lost coin. I have here a $100 bill. That's Benjamin Franklin. And here's the question. I want you, just, you may have heard this 10 times. Listen to it again. Really think about it. It's a revolutionary idea. How much is this worth? 
It's worth $100. It, the value of it is $100. Okay, it's, it's lost. You can't find it. You don't know where you put it. What's the value? What is its value? $100. Oh, my goodness, look, I found this $100 bill. What's it worth? $100. But here's the problem. In the case of the Gospels, where the finding required a price to be paid, it would be as though the person who lost that $100 bill spent a million dollars to find it. What does that do? It elevates the value of something that already has significant value. Now, when the wisest, shrewdest person in the universe pays an ultimate price for something or someone, he sets the true value of that, in your case, person. So even your innate value is an unestimated value. God has to come back and say, here's your worth, what I did for you on the cross. I think that's a great, that's a great thing. Well, see, what has to happen is the Lord has to come show you your value. It's what John Mark, I think, was touching on. And it's what Jesus told Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, in really his lost state, from Jesus' perspective, he was... And, and he gave him the highest compliment you could have as a Jewish person, a true son of Abraham. Jesus said, you are also a son of Abraham. What did he mean? I'm the only real legit son of Abraham, but now I found another one. It's you, Zacchaeus, the one nobody likes. Because I know who you really are. And so he pays his ultimate price to reveal to people. Actually, the scripture says... Um, he ransoms us. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a complicated thing, but he pays a ransom price to, to reclaim us. There's some spiritual legal concepts in there that maybe we don't fully understand. But when we were lost, it, um, it brought to bear that a price really did have to be paid for legal justice in the universe to be satisfied. But true justice is this. If Jesus has truly paid a price for you, it is unjust for you to not find out who you are and become that person. It's wickedness for you not to know who you are. It's an injustice. It's an injustice for the enemy to bring any charge against any child of God because every charge has been fully and completely answered. If you confess the same sin over and over and over out of your conscience but not out of your behavior, quit. It's been cleared. It's been covered. Now, what did the Son of Man come to do? To seek and to save that which was lost. What is it to be saved? What is it to be found? What is it to be redeemed? All of those different words lend itself to, to this one concept. Well, I want us to read, and um, I don't have overhead. I'll just read this out of Luke 17. It's the story of the ten lepers that get healed. Now, it happened as Jesus went to Jerusalem that he passed through 
the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Actually, they were healed. That's what it's talking about. Now, the idea in Jewish law was that if you had a disease like leprosy and you got healed of it, that healing had to be verified by going to a priest who had a certain test to see if you were actually actually healed. So Jesus tells these 10 fully blown up, disease-laden lepers who probably had body parts that had already rotted off, in their leper's condition, he tells them, go see the priest to show them that you're healed. And they're probably thinking, that's pretty crazy. Heal me and I'll go show them. Jesus says, go show them and I'll heal you. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. Okay, ten of them got healed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Let's, let's, I want you just to ask that second part of the question. Where are the nine? Let's say that together. Where are the nine? That was Jesus' question. He says, weren't there ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found? Were there not any what? Found. Were there not any who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner who was found? What is it to be found? It's to be grateful. Jesus heals ten people. One person is grateful, and Jesus says two things about him. He was found, and he was whole. It says in the last verse, and he said to the Samaritan who was healed, arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Here's the thing, 10 of them were healed, but only one of them was made whole. That's a pretty small percentage. Where are the nine? I don't know. A better question is, am I one of the nine? Pretty quiet in here. Even the kids quieted down. Only one was found who returned to give God glory. And Jesus called him a foreigner. And he, we use that term. He, he used it intentionally because it was a derogatory term. Actually chiseled into the granite at some point in some place on the temple in Jerusalem was this inscription. Let no foreigners enter within the screen or enclosure surrounding the sanctuary. And so you had that word foreigner. There was a derogatory term about the Samaritans. And the Samaritan was a term describing a person from Samaria. But it became a derogatory term in the mouth of a dedicated Jew. And so you have ten people healed. One of them 
is thankful, and he is one of the lowest people in the social economic strata of the day. And so you begin, you begin to see a pattern here. It's when people know how much other people don't care about them, and when they know their own weaknesses and their own failures, and when they know this sense of rejection, when they meet the real Jesus who elevates them to a place they never knew they could have, they are extremely grateful. Zacchaeus, the most hated person in a town of 100,000 people, says, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone, I'll pay them back four times. Why? I don't really understand why, other than he met this man named Jesus. I cannot give you the formula. I think you just have to conclude that this Jesus is so remarkable that when you really meet him, remarkable changes can happen in your life if you pay attention. Where are the nine? What is it, what is it to be found? One of the best indicators that someone sees the Lord accurately is that they're grateful. That's a great litmus test for us every single day. Look at your day. What does your day reflect, Robin? Oh, pardon me. What does your day reflect, church? If someone listened to you this day, what they say? That is a very thankful person. Or, that guy's got issues. What would they say? What is your perspective? If you were, listen, to, to try to be thankful when you're not thankful is missing the point. To see God accurately is to become thankful. To understand your state before God and to see what God has done for you releases true thanksgiving. I, ha I had a rough week. I chewed several people out over the phone this week. I was not thankful. I got forgiven. I have zero guilt, ladies and gentlemen. I'm a guilt-free man this morning. Uh, Bill Johnson said this, you only have authority in the storms you're able to sleep through. That's really good, right? Well, we had trouble at the building and the architect didn't do this and Donna says maybe he wasn't supposed to. I said, what do you know? No, I didn't say that. But I was really hostile. It's just, I'm glad he never called me back. It was going to be ugly. But at the end of the day, that's just a waste of time. Um... Arguing with reality, it's fruitless. It's fruitless. One of the things I hate about the political climate is people so casually and easily can tell you what's wrong with every political party. I don't care what's wrong with them. What do you know that's right that you can do something about? You see, it's such a substitution for um, a devout life is to be able to accurately denounce who you disagree with. That is really closet wickedness posed as intelligence. Come on, you know that's right. You know it's right. Who are you helping? What can you do for somebody else? Whose life is better off because they met you? That is, that is really the question there. Now, I've gone over two minutes. But there's just something I can't get away from, and I think it's so important. When we're talking about 
um, Jesus showing us who we are and Jesus elevating us. I just can't get away from this idea that when two people, uh, if Camille and I were looking face to face in bright light, I would see myself on the pupil of his eye. I would, I would see me when I looked in him. And when he looked at me, he would see himself. So when I look at Jesus, I see myself in Christ. When he looks at me, he sees himself in me. So he is calling me into his life, his character, his nature, his capacity, because he already sees himself in me. Now, Zechariah 2.8 says this, For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches what? The apple of God's eye. The apple of his eye. Now the apple of the eye, in a biblical sense, is the pupil. It's this very part of the eye where this whole reflection process comes up. It's the most sensitive part of the human body. It's the most protected part of the human body by your eye orbit, by your eyelids, by the fluids, by the lashes, by even by your eyebrows. All of that serve to protect this extremely sensitive part of your eye. And so Zechariah tells us this, when someone does something to you, it's as though they were poking God in the eye. Because he sees you as that much a part of himself. That's how much he cares about you. And he doesn't want anybody to get between the two of you. He wants to be able to look you eye to eye. He wants to be able to look straight into your face. It says in the Song of Solomon, this great love, romantic, biblical story, let me see your face, let me hear your voice. That's what the Lord says. But the devil comes around and tries to poke people in the eye. The devil comes around and tries to distort the goodness of God. Here's our prayer. Lord, we want to see you accurately. That's our prayer. We want to see who you are. Here's the reality. You are turned in to the image of whatever God you see, for good or evil. People whose money and greed is God, that's who they become. But when you can see Jesus accurately, that's who you become. And that's who you are. Okay. Everybody all right? Let's stop and pray. We do have ministry teams. Any of you who would like prayer, we'd be glad to pray for you uh, up front here. My right, your left. We have prophetic teams and healing teams that we'd be glad to minister to you. But I want us to stop. Why don't you stand and pray? Let's ask God to continue to resolve these conflicts with our property. Um,
Father, first of all, thank you for the Visualite. Thank you for the years we've spent here, the opportunities we've had to grow and meet you, meet up, meet one another. But Father, I'm asking that you would resolve um, any and all issues connected to us being able to move in that uh, facility. Thank you so much for it, Lord. You've just gone way beyond what you needed or had to do, and I'm really grateful, Lord. Thank you so much for it. And Father, bless Queen City Church. Bless everyone here. Father, um, the, the Old Testament blessing was about causing your face to shine upon people. But Father, we do, we ask that your countenance, that people would so see you that their very faces would change. Their very lives would change. And we ask for that in the wonderful, exquisite, precious, John Mark said, name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Hang out with people before you leave.